Welcome to Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast, hosted by Andy Baldacci. Each week, Andy interviews a successful agency owner who shares their proven strategies to help you build and grow your agency. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to episode 41 of Hubstaff's Agency Advantage Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Baldacci. Today, I'm talking with Drew McClellan. Drew has over 25 years of experience in the agency world, including five years at mega agency YNR, running his own agency, the McClellan Marketing Group, for 21 years and counting, and working with hundreds of agencies at the Agency Management Institute, which he runs. In this interview, we focus on one of the most important aspects of building a successful agency, drumming up new business, as Drew covers the five mistakes agency owners consistently make here. But this interview is about a lot more than that, from when you should stop being involved in client work to why marketing agencies have no excuse to suck at marketing themselves. This episode is jam-packed with advice and lessons from Drew's 25-year career, and you don't want to miss this. So without further ado, here's Drew. Drew, thanks for coming on the show today. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Of course. Looking over your resume, it almost seems to me like when you were a little kid, instead of saying you want to be a race car driver or fireman, you said, I want to cultivate a distinguished career in the agency world. I'm assuming that wasn't necessarily the case. So can you tell listeners how you got where you are today? Yeah, no, I wanted to be a baseball player, but that only worked out through college. So um, (laughs) I was in college. Honestly, I was a psych major. And um, long story short, my advisor was like, you know, are you sure that's really what you want to do? And um, we talked about it some more and I was like, well, I'm like a starting junior and I've taken all these classes. What do I do? And we sort of sorted through them and he was like, well, clearly you like psychology and sort of how people tick, but you also seem to really love writing and English and you've taken a lot of business classes. Have you ever thought about advertising and marketing? And I honestly, at that point had never, it never even dawned on me. Um, and so he said, I think you should go over to, I was up in the university of Minnesota and the advertising and marketing classes, um, live in the journalism department or they did back then. They probably uh, may not anymore, but anyway, so I went over there, long story short, changed my major. Um, while I was in school, uh, one of my adjunct professors worked for gray advertising and she hired me as a freelance writer and I worked for them all through undergrad and graduate school. And then I went to YNR. And um, lived the big agency life for a while and um, wanted to get back to the Midwest and so took a job um, with a regional agency. And when I got there, everything wasn't quite uh, the way it was promised. And so I was at this uh, weird age. I was about 30 and I was sort of this perfect combination of arrogant and ignorance, right? And I sort of thought, if he can run an agency, I can run an agency. How hard can it be? Right. You almost, you you have the arrogance enough to think that you know enough to just get out there and do it. Right. And, you know, a year later, I finally understood exactly how hard it could be. But by then it was too late. You know, I had jumped with no net. So I had to figure it out. Um, And so my agency is 21 years old. We're still around. Um, We're certainly, obviously, as most agencies that started back then are are very different than we were uh, when we started. But, um, and then early on in my career of running the agency, I realized that I needed some tutelage, that I really didn't know how what the best practices were of running an agency. I knew how to take care of clients, but I didn't understand how to take care of employees and P&Ls and all that sort of stuff. So I found an organization called Agency Management Roundtable, and it was an organization started by a guy who also used to own an agency, and his premise was that most agency owners are accidental business owners that some some something happened they either got let go or they were you know arrogant like i was and quit or whatever it was then all of a sudden this you know they're freelancing and next thing they know they're hiring a couple people and they have 10 employees before they know it and they don't know what they're doing and so he created a business to teach agency owners the back half of the business so not how to serve clients not how to do branding sessions but how to run your business well to make money and to be successful and all of those sort of things. So I joined, uh, and I sound like one of those hair club, uh, commercial people, but any, I was in it for years and it, it was absolutely transformational for me. And about a decade ago, uh, he was ready to retire and he approached me and asked me to buy the business. He said, I think you're the guy that can take it to the next, the next phase. And at first I said, I already have one business. That's right. a risk for me. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, and we kept talking and, and I decided that it really, 
did sort of fit my sweet spot of I love to teach and coach and I love to I'm I'm a perpetual student so I like learning new things and my agency um was very processed and systemized we're very niched we have a very narrow focus for clients and so quite honestly they can do most of it without my active involvement so I I today Anyway, so I bought the business, obviously. I rebranded at Agency Management Institute, and today I spend about 25 or 30% of my time on the agency side of my world, and about 75 or so percent of my time working with agency owners in a plethora of ways, teaching them how to run a successful agency. Wow. Yeah. I can just imagine being in the agency world for over 25 years and working with hundreds of agencies through the Agency Management Institute that you've seen it all. But the area I really want to focus on is because when you when you said that, that most agency owners owners are accidental, it really hit home because a lot of the agency owners I talk to, they're trying to escape the nine to five. They have a skill, maybe a technical skill, maybe design, whatever it is, and they'll start freelancing. Word spreads around. They get busier than they can do on their own. They hire people. And then, like you said, a few years down the road, they look around. They have a team around them. And they're like, wow, I still like there's so much I don't know. I don't even know how I got here. And it can be overwhelming and and expensive. There are a lot of expensive mistakes that get made. For sure. And once you have payroll, once you have people whose livelihood depends on you, you have a lot of other concerns. And I have had a a few guests on to talk kind of about the the employment side of that. So what I want to focus on today relates to actually a presentation you've given a few times called the five mistakes that derail an agency's new business efforts. Because when you're on your own or even just a, a small, small shop, the feast and famine is bad, obviously, but you don't usually have to lay people off. You don't usually have to fire people if you can't find a client for a little bit. But right, as you have in the beginning, your clients are so small that one going away doesn't really impact the bottom line too much or, you know, you're scraping by anyway. So if you don't take a paycheck once or twice, you can kind of get over the hump. You're right. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's something that you can you can kind of grit and bear it through. It's still not a good problem. But once you get bigger, it's inexcusable. It does, your agency won't survive. So do you mind if we dive into that a bit? Absolutely. No, I'd love to. It's one of my favorite yeah. topics. So let's go for it. Then what, what do you see as kind of the five major mistakes that do derail an agency's new business efforts? Well, first of all, agency um, owners, a lot of them don't love to sell. And they, they define selling as like cold calling or, you know, and that's not what we're talking about at all. But they avoid it and they avoid it by saying, well, we've grown by referrals and, and we, we don't have to go out and get business. Business comes to us. And again, to your point, that works wonderfully for the first couple of years or when you're small. But over time, that start, that, the value of that starts to diminish for a couple of reasons. One, uh, a lot of times those are clients that if you had had the choice, you wouldn't have sought them out. But because they walked in the door, you've taken them. So you become this sort of generalist that serves everybody and anybody. And two, that's not how most larger clients choose an agency. Um, and so, again, you end up sort of taking the table scraps of agency work. And at a certain point in time, agency owners want more than that. And so... What happens is then they decide they're going to develop some sort of a new business program. But the way it works is they decide to do something, uh, blog posts, direct mail campaign, whatever, fill in the blank. And it works. And two or three clients walk in the door, good-sized clients, right-fit clients. And then they get so busy servicing those clients and onboarding those clients that all of the new business activity dwindles down to nothing. And then fast forward a year and they get the phone call from the client, any client saying, you know what, we're going to go somewhere else or our budgets have gotten frozen or whatever happens. It's a million things. And all of a sudden they have to scramble and panic because now, as you said, if they don't get money in the door quickly, someone's not getting paid. It's either the owner's going to walk for three months or six months without a paycheck or you're going to have to lay people off. And there is no worst day in an agency owner's life than having to let someone go, not because they didn't do a good job, but because you didn't do a good job and you don't have enough business to support them and their family. So you have this feast or famine sort of ebb and flow of this panicked flurry of new business activity and then nothing. And the problem with that is, is a couple of things. One, it means the pipeline is either full or dry, but there's never consistency to it. And two, the sales cycle for agencies is long. And so 
you need to be constantly prospecting. Otherwise, you're going to have to wait a long time. Somebody may be interested in hiring you, but they not, may not be in a position to do that for another two years. Well, if you just lost your biggest client, you can't wait. No. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the thing is you're right. It, it, when you're freelancing or when, you, when you're starting on, you're kind of picking up whatever you can get. Those $1,000, $2,000 projects, you can close those and deliver them pretty quickly. But as you get bigger and you're working on projects 10, 20, even 50 times that size, it doesn't work overnight. And so if you're waiting until the work dries up to find another one, like you're going to be waiting for a while to get that check in hand. Right. And there's huge consequences now because you're big enough that you can't sustain your expenses for too long without money coming in. Mm -hmm. For sure. When you have that overhead, when you have an office, when you have payroll, you you can't just keep funding it on a credit card. It's a lot of agency owners, they think, after going through that, often they have to learn it the hard way, but after going through that, they sort of have this dream that you talk about of just like, all right, we'll just hire some guy who can just go out and find the business for us. Yeah, that's uh, mistake number two, which is what I call the mythical, magical new business guy. And agency owners, I I cannot tell you how many agency owners. So I'm, I hang out with agency owners all the time and peer networks and other things. And so I'll see a, an agency owner let's say in February and and he or she will be elated because they just hired this new business guy and he's got this huge contact list and he's going to rock it. And six months later, um, they're like, you know what? He hasn't even paid his salary yet. And by a year from that February, they fired him probably right about the time he would have made his first sale, but they've, they don't have the, they don't have the bandwidth and the financial bandwidth or the patience to let that out. So, Part of the mythical, magical new business guy isn't the person's fault. And I don't know why we call it a guy. It could be a woman, obviously, just as light as easily. But you know, part of it isn't their fault. We have unrealistic expectation. The owner really wants to just abdicate all new business responsibilities to this person. So this person often doesn't get a decent budget, doesn't get support. The things they want to do, like, hey, we need a brochure, or we need a better website, or we need a landing pages, or whatever, that stuff gets ignored when client work comes in. So they can't get the assets they need, and they're given an unrealistic timeline. Um, and so they're sort of bound to fail. But the other reason they are bound to fail is because one of the things we do at AMI is we go out and every summer we do a research project where we talk to CMOs about agencies. And one of the things that we learned um, last year in our what well, last year's research was all about why people hire and fire agencies. And one of the things we learned was that agents or clients have no desire to talk to us about marketing. They want to have a conversation with us about business and about leads and about sales and those sorts of things. And most new business salespeople are not equipped to have those conversations. The person in every agency who is best equipped to have those conversations is the agency owner. And so it is a rare agency that the owner can completely let go. And I'm not saying that a, a, a new business person is always a bad idea. I'm saying if you're going to do it, you have to do it well and right. And you have to have very little to no expectation of a sale for at least 12 months. Right. You need to have that runway because there's going to be a ramp up period for sure. And again, the sales cycle doesn't change just because a new business, a salesperson is out there selling. So they may very well stir up some interest, but those clients may not be in a position to hire you right away. And so about the time that that person gets a little traction, typically that's when the agency owner gets frustrated because in essence, the agency owner has just funded this position and gotten very little return out of it. And so they get frustrated and fire them. Right. Yeah. When you're an accidental agency owner, when you're an accidental, you find yourself here, not by plan, it just happened that way. And you don't like selling. This is almost the, the holy grail is just thinking, oh, I just I want to hire someone and let them deal with all this. And you, it's like believing in it's like believing in unicorns, right? Right. Yeah. You would love it if it was real. Yeah. Yeah. But people rush it too early and, and think it's going to be just flip flip of a switch, and that's going to turn on kind of the sales machine. And you know, so for all the agencies that I work with, um, maybe one out of I'm going to say 75 or 80 new business guys that get hired actually work, actually pay for themselves. So, you know, you sort of have to factor in your odds. The the next mistake I think actually plays a lot into this, not just with a new business guy selling them, but with them selling themselves is that 
in the market, if you're a marketing agency, you're competing against other people who are good at marketing. So how do you make sure you stand out? And what do most agencies do wrong with this? Yeah, so uh, mistake number three is that um, most agencies look just like every other agency. And so, you know, I sit through a lot of agency new business pitches and, and I read a lot of agency websites and I'm talking to a lot of agency owners and every agency describes themselves in the same ways. We are a full service integrated agency. We partner with our clients. We have fill in the blank X number of years of experience. Um, you know, all of the stuff that we all say, we have to understand it everybody says. And so we have to find ways to differentiate ourselves. And and for some agencies, that's about niching. And that's about serving certain industry sectors or certain audiences and being thought leaders in that space. And that makes it a lot easier because, you know, instead of trying to shoot fish in every barrel, you're shooting all the fish in one barrel. And you can really develop uh, an expertise and a conversation level that you can have with prospects that's very different than just talking marketing. So if I'm a generalist and I'm meeting a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker, I don't really understand enough of their business to have in-depth conversations about the industry trends and all of that. So I, I have to default to talking about marketing. Well, that's exactly what clients tell us they don't want to talk about. They want us, they want us to understand their business. And quite honestly, they want us to be specialists. And so, um, that's a huge mistake that agencies make is that they refuse to narrow their field thinking that they're leaving money on the table. But it's sort of the general practitioner versus the brain surgeon. Uh, the brain surgeon can charge a lot more money for the work that they do because they're a specialist. And so the, the logic is faulty. One of my other guests, Brennan Dunn, who works primarily with freelancers, but also agencies, his kind of analogy is that if you're an athlete and your body is your business, if you, say, break a hand, you're not going to go to your physician down the road. You're going to go to someone who does surgeries on hands and ideally even one who only does surgery on hands for athletes. Because the risk the risk is too great. And I think I think a lot of times we as agency people don't put ourselves in the client's shoes and we don't really think about how incredibly frightening it must be to hire you have you have three groups of people who all look the same and they're all slick and smart and polished and they're all friendly and they're patting you on the back. And if you pick the wrong one, if you're a business owner, you could go bankrupt. If you're a CMO, you could get fired. That's a huge amount of pressure. And so the more that we can help them show how and why we're different and why we're the better choice, that is going to, A, shorten the sales cycle because they're not freaking out, and B, we are going to be able to help them at a different level because we do understand their industry or business at a different level. A lot of people in the agency world, especially in marketing, will say, well, the principles are the same for any industry. And at a high level, like the theory, you're right, it is the same. But the actual applications do vary. If if you have experience in a specific industry, in a specific niche, there are going to be things you pick up on that a generalist wouldn't. And if you think about it, like, imagine going to that doctor and him saying, like, oh, everyone has the same body, like, it'll be right. okay. Yeah, I work on feet. The bone, bones are the same. Bones are right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're all made of the same stuff. Right. And it's like, that's basically what generalists are saying to these business owners, to their baby is like, no, don't worry about it. like, I got this. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a mistake many many agencies make. We think we sound and look different, and you know we and and by the way, we all have a proprietary process, um, you know, and it basically is, you know, we learn about you, and then we tell you stuff that you should do. We make the stuff, and then we see if it works, and then we change. I mean, everyone has cute names for it, but that's pretty much everybody's process because that's the work we do. Right. Yeah. One of my favorite questions to ask people, agency owners, is what makes you different than your competitors? And so many of them say, well, well, we really care about the clients. And I mean, there are agencies out there that don't, but no one's going to say that. Like just saying that doesn't make it so. And most of those didn't survive the recession. The, the reality is there are a lot of really good agencies out there, smart people, or they'll tell you it's their people. And I'm like, so you think everyone else has hired all the buffoons and bad customer service people? I mean, come on, seriously. And that's the thing is, I, I think you hit it on the head when you said it's very rare for, not rare, but, but it's not always that the agency owner thinks about it from the client's perspective. Because if you do, they're going to be thinking in their head like, oh, realist, like all these other guys who said the same thing, they're wrong, but you're right. 
once you're in this kind of meeting with the clients, once you are going up against other agencies, having that strong positioning, having that way to differentiate yourself is important. But is that it? Like, is do you stop there? Or what else can set you apart? No, I, th- I think um, there's lots of ways you can set yourself apart. The way you handle um, estimates and billing can set you apart. Transparency and pricing can set you apart. Um, uh, access to senior people. So, you know, in a lot of cases, when someone hires an agency, there's a pitch team and then there's their actual team. And there's about a 20 year difference in age between the two. And so, you know, one way to differentiate yourself is to have, you know, a bunch of gray hairs who actually do client work. Um, there's responsiveness, there's timing, there's how often you meet it. There's that you'll put someone in their office as a internal person. There's lots of ways to differentiate yourself, but the number one way that clients want us to differentiate ourselves is they want a specialist, not a generalist. Even once agencies can wrap their head around the fact that as a specialist, you're able to command higher rates and you actually attract people to you. So you're not really leaving money on the table. Once they wrap their head around that, there's one habit that I still see all the time. And it's the agency owners who act like they're, a contractor who act like they're there to do the job that the client gives them and just follow it step by step. Like they're, they're a construction worker rather than architect. Right. Do do you see that as well? Yeah. And, and I think it got worse after the recession. I think the recession just beat the bejesus out of agencies and agency owners that, you know, they were just trying to survive. And so if somebody put a penny on the table and said, dance, they took the penny and danced and, and, you know, when I talk about it, I talk about the fact that I, I sort of think we were humbled to the point that, you know, we were taking scraps and we've kind of lost our swagger. And so we were so used to begging for those scraps. And I'm not sure that that behavior has course corrected itself. I still see a lot of agency owners sort of in that almost I'll take anything kind of attitude. And I, one of the, one of the new business mistakes that I talk about is that agency owners and agencies have lost their swagger. People want to work with people who have confidence and people who are willing to say no sometimes. And so whether that's, you know, the client who looks at your estimate and says, this is exactly what I want, but I only have 50% of the budget. And unfortunately, a lot of agencies will go, okay, we'll figure out a way to do it for that. Well, now you, now A, you've shown them that you're unethical in your pricing and B, you know, you've taught them that you're a dog that they can just drag around. And so, I think agency owners, there's there's a thin line between confidence and arrogance, and I'm not suggesting you step over that line because, by the way, clients don't like that either, as our research will show. Um, cockiness is not an attractive trait in an agency or an agency owner. But to be confident about your work, to be confident about um, the results that you've gotten for other clients, and to feel really good about what you're offering that prospect and at what price and really kind of stick into your guns and to your point, not being an order taker. And, you know, I think there's a, there's a, a you have to, that there's a dance with that. So, you know, what I teach agency owners is I say, you know, when, it, when a client asks you to do something that you know perfectly well is a bad idea, you know, you, you start that conversation with a, you know what, uh, Andy, I want you to know that I know this is your business. And at, after this conversation, we will do whatever you ask us to do. It's your money. It's your budget. It's your business. But I believe it is our responsibility to give you our best counsel, especially especially when it's not something you want to hear. Because a lot of people will tell you what you want to hear, and that's not who we are. And then you go on to explain to them why you think that's a bad idea or what's a better idea. And then at the end of the day, if they still want you to do the bad idea thing, unless it's you know immoral or unethical, you do it because it is their business and their money. And who knows? Maybe they're right. I mean, you know, we're not always right. But – I think, I think you have to have the courage of your convictions to go, you know what? I don't think this is the best idea. Here's why. And a lot of agency owners haven't found that. I think they had it and they've lost it and they need to, they need to figure out where they put it and find it again. Right. And it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because once you lose that confidence, once you're willing to do whatever it takes to, to pay the bills, clients can sense that and you're going to be less likely to actually win that business regardless if you don't push back where it's that kind of counterintuitive thing where they, it's not the girls want the bad guys, but it's sort of the, the idea that if you're too eager for the business, people get a little suspicious of that. Well, you can smell desperation, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think part of it too is, you know, I hear a lot of agency owners will say to me, oh, I'm so tired of being treated like a vendor. I want to get back to the C-suite. I want to get back to the table. Well, the way you get back to the table is demonstrating that you have something to say. You know, 
or or you're the admin taking notes. Which one do you want to be? <laughs> that's a that's a good way of describing, it. and I think this also ties into the last mistake about agencies sounding the same is that it's really hard to have that confidence unless you've kind of been in that same situation over and over again and truly know that niche, know that industry better than others. When you've worked with the same type of client or in the same space or whatever your kind of specialization is, it's a lot easier to say like, guys, I've been here before. We've done this. We've tried what was suggested. Here's how it went. You can make your own decision, but you you have the expertise to draw on. And when you say you're a full stacks, full service agency, you're kind of deluding yourself, and it's it's really hard to have that same confidence. Well, the, the two things. One, I think when you have stories to tell, war stories to tell, it's a lot easier to get a client to have enough faith and trust to do what you're recommending, especially if it's something they're not sure they should do. So part of it is sort of earning your stripes there. And, you know, in terms of in terms of all of that and being able to not be a commodity – it's also a place where, you know, when you start thinking about thought leadership and creating content and all of those sort of things in terms of your own marketing plan for your own agency, it's a lot easier to do that when you're not just writing a, you know, three ways colors impact brand, right? <laughs> for sure. So uh, I want to cover the last mistake. And this is one where it's, it was surprising me when I heard it. And it's also sort of similar. I read that, um, the research you did on why agencies are hired and fired. And that gave a little bit of insight into this, but, but can you share this last mistake for us? Yeah. What, what we learned in the research is that clients have secret rules that either elevate you to getting into the pitch stage or eliminate you from the pitch stage. So we, one of the things we asked them is, do you have like a secret sauce, a, like do you, a, a formula or a trick that you use to really narrow down the field when you're picking an agency? And almost a hundred percent of them said yes. And and then we said, okay, what is it? And what surprised us is most of them told us, and so and and some of them are things like that you would expect. Um, one of the big ones is, and you know, shame on all of us because we're grownups and we should know better. But typos in our proposals um, that often will get us eliminated. But some of the things really surprised me. For example, they will reach out to some of your clients former clients, employees, and former employees on LinkedIn and ask them about you. So I was like, you've got to, that's like stalker behavior. But apparently we got the answer from several people that they seek out our contacts on LinkedIn and ask them what it's like to work with us or for us. Um, Some of them are, um, one of them was several people said, I want to guarantee, I want some, I want some promise that, there's an ROI at the end of this. And I want you to help me figure out the math of if I spend a dollar, here's how I get two or three or four. Um, another one is that they really want us to be experts in their field. And for them, the way they defined that was at least 25% of our business should be in their industry. Interesting. When you do take that client-based mindset, especially post-recession, they're going to be paying attention to the ROI above all else almost. Again, this is something that could make or break their business potentially. So they're going to do their due diligence. They don't have a ton of extra cash to just throw around and try things out. They want to make sure they're making the right decision. And a lot of them probably have their own SOPs on how to hire these agencies and some of this is built into that. Well, one um, one agency said uh, we take a hunger's game approach. We put all the agencies in a shootout, and whoever's left standing wins. It's like holy buckets. Yeah, yeah. Is, is there a way to prepare for this, or do you? How do you advise people in AMI to? to handle this. Yeah, I I think it comes to the pre-conversations that you have. You know, what is it you're looking for in an agency? Have you worked with agencies before? What did you love most about the agencies you worked with? What really irritated you or frustrated you about the agencies? Why are you doing a search? What, What are the unbreakable rules? Just ask. What are the rules that we absolutely can't break if we want your business? 
define for me or describe for me what you think our relationship will look like. How often will we talk to each other? Um, when you are worried about something, would we be someone you call or do you see us more as a vendor? I think, again, and this gets back to that swagger uh, conversation. I think we're so reticent to ask questions because we don't want to offend or whatever. And you know what? I think we have to walk into those early conversations, making it very clear Hey, prospective client, I know that you are interviewing me, but I am interviewing you because you might not be right for us. And just like we may not be right for you, we have a right to decide who we do business with. And, and again, that I think that exudes that confidence we're talking about, but it also would unearth a lot of these things that um, otherwise go unspoken. And, you know, you may become the victim of it and you didn't even know that it was there. That's the thing is there's obviously the, the psychological shift when it's a two-way interview, when you're not just there kind of applying for a job, you're actually trying to see if there's a mutually beneficial fit. And so that's one part of it. But the other part is that there you should have red flags that you look out for in who makes a bad client because bad clients take up a disproportionate amount of your time, of your resources, of everything. And you need to find ways to kind of systematically avoid those. So you really should be, it's more than a psychological tactic because you really should be interviewing them to see if they're right for you. Yeah. You know, in, uh, we have an online course where we uh, help agency owners sort of build out their new business program. And one of the tools that we teach in there is called a sweet spot client filter. I believe that every agency has a sweet spot for clients and, and it might be industry. It might be size. Some things are very tangible and pragmatic, like, you know, has an in-house art department or doesn't have an in-house art department, whatever it is. And some of them are very subjective. Um, like, um, we work better with women contact or men contacts, or we like somebody who's never worked with an agency before, or we love somebody who, who hires and fires agencies all the time, whatever it is. But I think there's, I think you need to create a, basically a grid and you need to list, you know, maybe the 10 or 12, things that you know make the best client. And the way you do that is you look at the clients that you would clone if you could. And, you know, one of them might be pays their bills on time, whatever it is, uh, probably a certain size or a certain budget. But then what you need to do is you need to score prospects and you need to agree that let's say there are 12 criteria. Anybody who gets an, something below an eight, you say thank you, but no thank you. Or you have to justify to the rest of whoever's on your new business team why you would make the exception to the rule that they are worthy of going after even though that they you got too many no's. And I think I think if we took that attitude around new business and we started hunting that way, I think it changes the conversation and the relationship. Absolutely. Because I mean, at that point, you really are building a partnership. You're not building a, a kind of client vendor relationship. You're building a true partnership. And I really like how you said score them and have rules on what to do in different situations, because you're not going to say just immediately throw at everyone below a score, but that should be the default. And if you want to break that pattern, you need to justify it. Because so many times we can, in the heat of the moment, Whatever, maybe we're just having a bad day. Maybe we're hungry. Like there's things that can just affect your mindset and you can just make excuses for why, no, they really are a good fit. But you want to have a framework that kind of prevents too many of those mistakes and forces you to be more rational about it. Especially, I think, if your agency is sort of on the rails, you've lost a big client, you know, you're facing maybe potential layoffs. And so there's a desperation about getting new business in. That's when tools like that sort of help you keep a steady ship and a steady mind about the decisions you make. It also defines who you actively target and who you reach out to. So it's not just the, in, it's not scoring just inbound, you know, leads, but it's also dictates what you're going to do in your outbound efforts. I'm going to stop you right there for a quick word from our sponsor. But when we come back, he's going to share what this new business machine actually looks like in practice. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. The Agency Advantage podcast is brought to you by Hubstaff. Hubstaff makes time tracking software for remote teams so that you can stop tracking time with spreadsheets or whatever else your team decided to use that week and start getting the insights you need that can only come from having accurate data all in one place. Our best clients are agency owners, and while they love the accountability that comes with it, it's sort of like Upwork but without the crazy fees, where they really find the value is by being able to connect Hubstaff with their project management tool to see how much time it really takes to deliver each part of a project. Think of it as Google Analytics for your team. 
I've been absolutely blown away by how many times that an agency owner has come up to me and said, Andy, we started using Hubstaff a month ago, and after looking over the data, we realized we've actually been losing money on one of our most popular services. If you don't know what your real profit was in your last project, then you'd need to try Hubstaff out. To say thanks for tuning into the show, Hubstaff is offering all of our listeners a 30% discount on all of our plans. All you need to do is head over to try.hubstaff.com forward slash podcast and use the coupon code advantage that's try.hubstaff.com forward slash podcast and coupon code advantage all right let's get back to drew honestly we covered these five mistakes really well and i think for me personally it has a thousand ideas kind of running through my head about what this looks like so i'm curious to ask you like how does this look in practice, like what does kind of the holistic system look like for an agency when they put together this new business machine? Well, what's sort of fascinating to me is it looks exactly like what we do for clients, right? I mean, it is first you have to know who and what you are and who you can delight every day. So that's that's really having sort of an understanding of your agency, the values of your agency, how you deliver value to clients, what kind of clients love you the most, who do you love serving, what do you want to do in terms of specialization, you know, do you want to be the agency that knows how to talk to millennials, do you want to be the agency that serves the steel industry, whatever that is, you've got to sort of define all of that. And then you spend some time thinking about who your ideal customer is. If if we're that, and based on the clients that we already love and can make happy and can help grow their business, what does our ideal client look like? And we've, you know, we talked about that sweet spot filter. Now that I know who we are and I know who we're targeting, what messages, what authentic, real, not we partner with our clients, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what can we really say that actually matters to these people? How can we help them today? And it, it really is a, how can I help them today and get on their radar screen so that on it's, it's like dollar cost averaging investing, right? You have no idea what day a client or a prospect is going to be ready to hire an agency. So you have to be top of mind every day. And the only way you do that is by being in touch on a regular basis. And just like we tell clients, the market has shifted. We don't, we don't get to decide that we get to be on someone's radar screen. They give us permission to be there. And the only reason they're going to do that is if we're being helpful. And so that's where all the thought leadership comes. And, and uh, again, I think there's sort of three layers of new business. So I, I have written about this many times, but it's, I call it the macro, micro and nano level. So the macro level is what are you going to do to make sure that people who've never heard of you find you? And that's, you know, again, thought leadership, SEO, speaking at conferences, writing a book, whatever it may be, writing, writing for the trade pub of the industry that you serve, that sort of thing. And then there's the micro level. So now I've attracted someone's attention enough that they've traded me an email address or something. So we've had, I've, I've met them at a trade show and I have their business card or they downloaded a white paper in exchange for an email address. But anyway, I have some form of contact. So what am I going to do? to keep earning the right to talk to them. How, how am I going to do that? And, you know, we, we all default to the e-newsletter and all of that, but, you know, it needs to be a, uh, just like we tell our clients, it needs to be a media mix of things. And then at the nano level, I think every agency should have a target list of 25 agencies that they are going to pursue with a vengeance until one of two things happens. Either you get the restraining order saying, don't call me anymore, or they hire you. But otherwise, you just keep working that list. And if you get one, you substitute someone else on the list. And 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 everyone goes, yeah, yeah, I know all that. How do I get it done? And that's really this trick, right? We can do it for clients, but we can't do it for ourselves. And I will often say that the coolest thing about being an agency owner is that we're not accountable to anyone. But the most dangerous thing about being an agency owner is that we're not accountable to anyone. So it really it's really about building a team and it really is about creating system and process around making sure that if you're dropping lumpy mail to your 25 people and you're sending out five every week and then following up with a phone call or whatever it is you're doing. Um, and for every agency, it should be different based on who you are and who you're targeting. But whatever you're doing that, that no matter how busy you are, no matter how, no matter what's going on with your current clients, no matter who's on vacation, that that machine keeps chugging along. And there are plenty of tools to do that, but quite honestly, it's about not letting it be optional. And it's about deciding, you know, stop giving me the, you know, cobbler's children have no shoes excuse. I hate that. 
you know, that's, that's garbage. It's your, it's your business and you have to take care of it. And this is one of the ways you take care of your business. And, and then it, and, and really honestly, it's sort of, you know, wash, rinse, repeat that you, once you have that going, you just kind of keep chugging. And what happens is as, as you maintain that new business activity, you're speaking at smaller conferences, you're doing, you're writing blog posts, you're doing whatever it is you're doing, you're creating infographics, you're doing a podcast, whatever it may be, opportunities will present themselves to up your own marketing game. And you have to be ready to take those opportunities. And if you do that every day with intention, and by the way, I think an agency owner, 50% of their time should be spent on new business. But they're not, they shouldn't be doing it in a vacuum, obviously. They're, they've got a new business team around them inside the agency that's helping them execute a lot of those things. But the agency owner and or the agency owner and the salesperson in tandem need to be driving a lot of the new business. That's, that's, that is a place where an agency owner brings unique value to the business and they need to merchandise that. I was going to ask, like, how do you suggest that people, agency owners, do this when they're so busy, this and that? But, I mean, you put it pretty simply is, one, set aside time to do it. But the second part is actually make sure you use that time to do this. Because so many times we'll toss things on our calendar, we'll get pushed back. It's like, oh, this needs to be done tomorrow, so right. on and so we, on. We violate our own promises to ourselves. Exactly. And that's yeah. the thing is you need to treat these really as a promise that cannot be broken. Because if you break these promises for too long your agency could easily collapse. Yep. And it's no different than exercise or anything else. You have to calendar it. It has to be non-negotiable. You have to make sure you have the bandwidth for it, which means that you're not still in every client meeting and you're not, you know, an agency owner should be focusing on new business 50% of the time. They should be mentoring their their direct reports. They should be inspiring the everyone in the agency by bringing people together and talking about where we're going and why and, you know, talking about the milestones and the goals, they should be doing what I call client love, which is I'm having golf with a client. I'm having a drink with a client. I'm taking the client to the theater or a ball game, whatever your, your thing is. Um, and making sure that we're doing a great job. And honestly, that's the lion's share of what an agency owner's life should be. Do you sometimes get pulled into client stuff on occasion? Yes. But your whole goal needs to be to build a team that you have enough confidence in that you just let them do their job. And I'm sure this is something where there's not a hard and fast rule, but at what size agency, like what sort of headcount do you think the client work should become the exception rather than the rule for the agency owner? I think it's pretty tough to do when you're under five or six people, but by, mm -hmm. the, but by the time you're eight or 10, there is no reason why you have to be doing day-to-day -day client work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the big thing is that it seems like, and it's, it goes all goes back to kind of the accidental agency owner is that if you sort of default to that freelancer mindset, you don't even realize that you shouldn't be doing it. That's kind of the default. You just keep doing more and more client work and have other people doing it too, but no one's really doing all these other administrative, new business development, all those other tasks that are so crucial to keeping an agency going. Well, and quite honestly, I think a lot of agency owners default back to their core skill set, whether they were a writer or an art director or an account person, because it's easy. I mean, they've been doing it forever. And so it's super easy and they're really good at it. And that feels good and they're fast. And so part all the time I hear agency owners go, I can do it so much better and so much faster. And I say, well, then teach them how to do it better and faster. Stop doing it for them. Right. Or fire them and hire someone who's as good as you are. <laughs> right. And that's, it also goes back to not being too arrogant to, to believe that there is other talent out there, whether you want to admit it or not, there are people who could do similar jobs as you. So find them. Well, and I also think one of the things that we as agency owners need to wrap our heads around is that my version of right is not the only version of right. And that there are other ways. Sometimes there is a, there is a clear, fast right and wrong for a client. And, and if your team is going in the wrong direction, you need to step in, but you need to step in and coach. But most of the time it's a, it's subjective or it's a nuance. And what your team has done is just fine. It's just not exactly how you would have done it. And you sort of have to get over yourself. Right. You have to get over that fear of delegation and accept that there are other ways of doing it. What I want to talk about now though, is how, how does the Agency Management Institute fit in with all this? What do you do specifically to work with agencies to help them institute all of this on their own? Yeah. So 
sort of the the hub of uh, AMI are these owner peer networks. So think of it like a Vistage group or an EO group. So 12 agencies uh, in a membership model make a commitment to belong to a group. So in that group, since a lot of the agencies might have partners, there might be 15 to 25 people in the group, but it's 12 agencies, non-competing agencies, and they physically get together for two and a half days of best practice sharing. They show their full financials to each other. We bring in speakers. We dig through a lot of challenges. They do that twice a year. So they spend about five or six days together. And then they're in constant contact throughout the year. So that becomes sort of like your board of advisors. And, uh, you know, I've, I've seen amazing things happen in those meetings. I, I can remember an agency owner who was, you know, moments away from changing the name of his agency and the group walked him, had him walk them through the process of why he was doing it. And in an hour and a half, they convinced him that it would have been, it would have killed his business. And I, and I, and so, you know, it's very pragmatic. Like I have an employee issue. I don't know what to do about this person. And, and so it's part best practices and coaching. It's part therapy session, quite honestly. And it's part, it's reassuring to see how other people are doing things. So, you know, we never see any other agencies' financials or things like that. So, so it's very insightful. So that's one of the ways we serve agencies. We also offer workshops for agency owners and account service staff and agency leaders. So, for example, we have two workshops coming up in January that I'm really excited about. One of them is how to manage millennials inside an agency. So I hear agency owners crying about their millennial employees every day. And so I, I'm working with uh, and co-teaching this with a guy who's an expert on seeking out, because there are good millennials and bad millennials, just like there are good baby boomers and bad baby boomers when it comes to employees. So how do you find the good ones and then how do you nurture them and then get them to stay um, and really add value to your agency? So that's going to be a great one. And then the, right after that, we're doing a two-day new business summit where I'm bringing in agency search consultants who talk about all the things we do wrong and pitches and proposals and all of that. And, and actually are going to take us through a series of exercises so agencies can talk about themselves in a way that differentiates them. So, so we do a lot of those. We do some AE boot camps. Uh, to try and teach AEs how to balance the fact that, yes, you need to make clients happy, but you also have to serve the agency and help them make money, and here's how you do all of those things. Um, so that we do that, and then we do some remote coaching, and I also do on-site consulting. So, and then we have the podcast, um, uh, Build a Better Agency, which uh, we have guests come on every week and talk about kind of the same kind of thing you and I are talking about. Uh, and then we are um, just we just are getting ready to launch. Uh, we have a our first online course, so five hours of video t- teaching, 175 page sort of participants guide. And actually, this first one is all about new business. Our our conversation is teed up with that. So we try and be uh, really accessible. There, we certainly offer a lot of free resources like the podcast, and then you can get involved with AMI. At various levels, obviously, the networks are the biggest commitment in terms of both, you know, time and and intensity. Just doing some of the things on my own, I can understand how important it is to be surrounded by a group of peers who, one, you can have as a sounding board, one, you can just vent with, but two, who can help hold you accountable. And then having all that other expert kind of education material is huge. Uh, one of the last podcast guests I had, Eric Baum, his big thing is that people have Whatever, no matter how unique you might think your problems are, people have been there before, they've gone through it, and you need to kind of put your ego aside and realize that and look to them to learn. And if you can do that, you can really shortcut your growth. You can avoid a lot of the mistakes that have already been made. And so that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing is that how do you possibly balance all of that with running your own agency? Well, um, <laughs> back to point one, one of the great things about what happens at AMI is every, even in the workshops, you show up as a student, but you also end up being a teacher because at some point in the workshop, we'll be talking about something that you've gone through or you've figured out. And the participants are really great about going, oh my gosh, that happened to me two years ago and here's what we did. First, we tried this. That did not work. Don't try that. And then we did this. And so it's very collaborative, which I love. Um, so so that you're right it's it's awesome to be surrounded by people and be in an environment where it's safe to talk about your business because you're not you know if you're an agency owner most of the other agency owners you know are either in your vertical or in your town so you can't have conversations with them you're not going to say hey let me see your P&L how you doing right you just kind of put on a, a right. smiling face everything's, everything's awesome. going great yeah right yeah. yeah so in terms of uh running the business and both businesses um simultaneously 
in, in a cool way, they're sort of symbiotic because my agency becomes sort of my lab uh, where I get to try things and then I take them in, into AMI and vice versa. So I learn things at AMI that allow me to bring them back and make my agency better. But I will tell you this, the truly secret sauce of how I do that is I realized early on what we talked about earlier, which is I can't be the guy that does everything. And so my team um, does most of the day-to-day work with clients, um, and I, I still focus on the things we talked about, new business and mentoring and client love, which I can do a lot of that either A, when I'm on a plane in terms of new business, and B, when I'm in town. So I travel quite a bit, as you might imagine, with all of those workshops and and all of that, but we figured it out. My staff, I'm blessed beyond measure. My staff, the average tenure of my staff in terms of working for my agency is about 14 years. So part of it is that they are such a well-oiled machine and they've worked together for so long that um, sometimes I think when I come in, I kind of muck things up, honestly. Because, yeah, they have they have their way of doing yeah. things. It's been so refined yeah. in that. So you, yeah. remember when you were a kid and you were like having an intense conversation with your friend and then your mom walked in and you both kind of looked at her like, are you staying here? Sometimes <laughs> when I walk in the office, I, I kind of get that same sense. It's like, are you going to be here all week? <laughs> so, uh, you know, they, they are brilliant. I spend a lot of time and money and effort in helping them continue to sharpen their saws and skills. Um, I quite really candidly, I try and spoil them as much as I can because I know that if a bunch of them left, um, I wouldn't be telling this story. I would, I would have to ch- make a choice. Um, so I, I try to ruin them for all other employment. Um, <laughs> and that's always been my tactic. Exactly. Spoil them so that they don't want to go anywhere, but entrench them in your own processes so that no one else will take them. And, and, you know, have, allow them to help be a part of all of the process creation and all of that so that it's, that's not my process. It's our process. And honestly, it's more theirs than mine. Um, and, you know, and give them a lot of autonomy and support and have their back so that they're not afraid to make decisions. They're not afraid to take risk because they're never going to hear from me. Why did you blah, 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 you know, and, and so they know it's a safe environment for them to act like they own the joint. And I'm guessing without getting into it too much that the lessons for millennials isn't entirely different than that with the autonomy, with those types of things. No, I, I, I think honestly, no different than any employee. The more you understand the employee, regardless of their age, the more you can tailor how you coach and mentor and teach and support and celebrate and encourage and discipline and all those things. You know, that, that's true regardless of our age. I, I think the millennials get a little bit of a bad rap that they're all the same. But, you know, really when you start thinking about, you know, if you have three 28 year old employees, they're not really all the same. So, but there, I think there are some best practices around how figuring out sort of what their mindset is, what matters to them, what motivates them. That's very different than the generations ahead of them. And most of us who are running agencies are, you know, in our maybe late thirties, but mostly forties, fifties and sixties. And, and so it's also hard, I think, not to treat them like, our kids. And, and so I'm sure that's offensive as I'll get out to them. Um, so anyway, I'm excited for the workshop. I think it's going to be awesome. No, that'll be great. And um, I just a few questions before we wrap things up. So the first one I want to ask is what do you think you spend too much time on right now? Well, I would say plane delays, but I don't control that. <laughs> um, because AMI is newer to us, we're still sort of developing process and, and it's grown significantly since I bought it. So, you know, we've added a lot of things like the online course and the podcast. So I spend probably too much time trying to figure out how to do things rather than creating the systems. So I need to emulate what we've done on the agency side, mm-hmm. and my side more than we have. And then if you had that, if, if you kind of had implemented all that and it freed up some time for you, where would you like to be spending that new time? Like, what do you think doesn't get enough attention right now? And this could be not even specific to AMI or to your agency, yeah. just in general. Maybe sleep would be good. <laughs> um, I probably don't do enough of that. Um, I would probably write more. I write a lot, um, but I find that um, – and even the podcasting, I, you know, I would I would – prep even more than I do. I, I love to learn and I love to share what I learned. So some aspect, some medium that would allow me to do even more of that. Interesting. So the last thing I'll ask is that 
What do you see as the end game for for your agency, for AMI? Where do you want to take things? Yeah, it's interesting. I was just having a conversation with an agency owner yesterday, and I, we were talking about succession planning. And many agency owners falsely believe that there are just buyers out there dying to buy our little agencies. And, you know, you really have to be of a certain size or a certain niche or have to have something of value. The most common way an agency evolves, quite honestly, is the agency owner either retires or dies and the agency just gets shut down. Um, or there's an internal sale where you sell it to your employees, which is, I think, probably the most likely scenario if, if you want to sell your agency. So many years ago, I approached a couple of my employees and said, would you ever want to own this thing? And they were like, hmm, no, um, we're risk adverse. So you get all the risk. We get all the perks of kind of running it, but without any of the drama and risk. And we don't have to put our house on the line for the line of credit. So thank you, but no. And at that point, then I decided, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to run this beast until I don't want to run it anymore. I'm going to run it in a way that I take as much money out as I can and diversify it, get it out of the agency and put it other places. And when I'm done, I'm going to lock the door. And just say, you know what, that was a great ride. AMI on the other side, I believe, is a sellable asset. And so part of as I build that out, I need to build it out in a way that just like the founder found me and convinced me to buy it, that I have something that's really sellable and attractive and can find my successor someday. But I have no intention of doing that anytime soon. This is, you know, I I like to work. I like the work that I do. I love hanging out with agency owners. I love watching them be successful and cheering them on and in some small way being a part of that and helping them. Um, I like being a resource that they know they can count on. So I'm not, I'm not going anywhere anytime soon. No, and it's funny because a guest that we both interviewed, Jason Swank, one of his big things was that if you build the agency the right way, once you're at a, a point where you could even consider selling it, it's probably not taking a ton of your time and is built to be relatively self-sufficient and with the multiples that agencies are getting it honestly a lot of times just makes sense to keep it as sort of a cash cow and it obviously still takes time but there's not a huge reason to sell if you get it to a place where you actually could sell it. right or you take on some minority partners so that they have skin in the game there's lots of ways to do it and and the trick to all of that is thinking about it much earlier than you think you need to. And, you know, so I'm, I'm working with a lot of agency owners who the closer to your desired date of being done, you start to put all this into action, the fewer choices you have. And so I think it's really important early in your career as an agency owner that you begin to think about what would be the ideal way. Because if you want to sell it internally, for example, that should influence your hiring, right? Yeah probably 10 For or 15 sure. years before you're ready to hand over the reins. So it's important to think about, but, but Jason is, is exactly right. Um, you don't have to sell it to be out of it. Mm -hmm. yep. For sure. And I, I want to end it on that note so I, we don't go way over on the time, but you crammed a ton of great insights into that. I'm excited to go through it again and get the show notes written up. But to cap it all off, if listeners have enjoyed hearing what you have to share, they want to learn more about what you're up to, where should they go to learn more? Easiest place is to go to agencymanagementinstitute.com. You can find my contact information, which is pretty easy. It's drew at agencymanagement.com. Um, but you can also learn about our workshops, the owner peer networks, the podcast, all of that stuff. You can see our blog where there's plenty of content. Um, and you can certainly reach out if you have questions. Uh, we do webinars. You can ask to get on our list. So you, we just did one today, the, you know, mistakes that AEs do that cost you money. So, um, happy to, happy to be helpful in any way that I can. And I'm, I'm on social media everywhere, Drew McClellan. It's M-C-L-E-L-L-A-N. So, you know, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all that sort of stuff. Perfect. And I'll make sure to get all that linked up in the show notes. And Drew, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on the show today. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. I really wasn't kidding when I said that Drew managed to pack this episode full of actual insights. He really has seen it all over his 25-year career in the agency world, and it was great being able to pick his brain, especially on the subject of new business efforts. In order to build a thriving agency, you need to have your new business efforts running like a well-oiled machine. And to do that, you need to avoid these five mistakes. First, falling into the feast or famine trap. Second, believing in the mythical, magical new business guy. Third, looking like every other agency out there. Fourth, losing your swagger. And fifth, 
violating the client's secret rules. If you can avoid these mistakes and consistently execute your system, then your agency will be primed for success. This interview should give you some ideas for how to turn around your new business efforts, but if you need some extra help fixing these mistakes or just want to learn from Drew's experience, head over to agencymanagementinstitute.com. That's all I have for you guys this week. If you enjoyed this show and learned something, head over to iTunes and leave me a review. Tell me what it was that you learned. I love hearing from listeners and positive views help us grow our audience. So if you can take a second and do that, I'd really appreciate it. I'll talk to you next week. See ya.